live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawanjay. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to dive into in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more on this entertainment edition of the ODPH Podcast, but we want to interact with you, so definitely join in the conversation on our social media accounts. You can find out all we're doing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Podchaser, Public, TikTok, you name it, we're there over at odphpodcast.com, and always remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Let us kick off this episode, though, breaking down one of the most highly anticipated trailers of the year this yeah. trailer has had fans guessing when is it going to drop is the movie coming out is it even real does it exist and what are we talking about pad uh that is the trailer for the upcoming marvel film eternals yes we were finally graced with the eternals trailer marvel's most questionable project to date in my opinion i put uh in humans ahead of that but you know no because in humans Fans actually have a better idea of than the Eternals. Okay. The Eternals have been around since 1976, created by the king himself, Jack Kirby. This is kind of like a response to his creations of the New Gods over at DC, but this is a space odyssey of characters that have ties to the Celestials. They have ties to other areas of the Marvel Universe. They have never really sustained a deep run of comics. Right. So that's one thing that I always say is very skeptical of how they can do, because... Even though Jack Kirby has created him, and I mean, you can go through the the lineage of Kirby creations, and we call him the king for a reason. Eternals has always been very puzzling, that they've just never had that super deep run. That obviously when Kirby came back and started doing them, they had some success, and they kind of faded off. They've come back here and there throughout the decades. Most notably, Neil Gaiman took a shot with them, with John right. Romita Jr. And in my opinion, if Neil Gaiman can't get them over, if we're going to use wrestling terms... I don't know who else is going to do that. I know they've just come back in a new series because obviously with a movie coming out, they would definitely want to get the characters involved in the books. Yeah. We do see that they're having a bigger presence in the comics. Sure. Kind of an eclectic group in their own right. Yeah, and I think maybe part of the issue they've just never taken off is, you know, for some of Marvel's other groups or otherworldly beings, you know, the, uh, the uh, Asgardians, uh, you know, the other Greek gods that and such that kind of pop in from time to time with some of those folks, it's easy for readers like us to grab onto because to varying degrees, we have an understanding and we have a knowledge of them. Like I I will admit there are people out there who know a lot more about Norse mythology than I do. Mm -hmm. I know some names. I recognize some stuff. I played God of war, which I know isn't like a, you know, encyclopedia of Norse mythology, but like, Hey, it's got folks and it's got names that I recognize the names of. But it's still stuff that, like, everyone, you know, even before the Marvel films had probably heard of the name Thor at some point. They'd heard of the name Odin at some point. You know, and with the Greek uh, gods, you know, the Roman gods, you've, you've people have heard of Zeus. People have heard of Hercules, you know, Ares and stuff like that. So it's it's relatively easy to grasp onto that. But when it's something that, like, 
you got nothing behind it and you're trying to put them on the same level as those folks. It's kind of like, wait, why are we doing this? You've already got folks like that. It's a tough challenge. And obviously with this group, it's always just been a hit or miss because we all know Jack Kirby and his work with the new gods. We understand that. And coming back to Marvel when he decided to create these new characters, this is kind of like a puzzling thing because the only thing that we really know about this group is they have ties to the Celestials. Mm -hmm. Celestials were kind of experimenting with humanity and they made powers out of them. So they kind of, you know, deep dive a little bit and they were just kind of doing experiments on them. Yeah. So it kind of pushed the levels of humanity. So these characters have been around for years. And like I said, they haven't really had a great sustaining run in the comics. Like, sure, they've gone like a couple of years. But if we're talking in comparison to the Inhumans, yeah. which is a great benchmark against two, who have always been bit characters in the Marvel Comics universe. And then when they started getting their push during Marvel Knights and really started yeah. getting a big push when Marvel was not pushing the X-Men as much and right. these were the new X-Men, quote-unquote. Right. This is a group that just never caught on like those. Right, and I'm sure if you go to any casual or diehard uh, Marvel Comics fan and you say... Name me the top your top ten uh, storylines in Marvel Comics that aren't crossovers. Mm -hmm. So take out Civil War, take out Infinity War, or the Infinity Gauntlet, take out Avengers vs X Men. You know any of that? Just like specific to characters, or even maybe you know a small group of characters. You know, Eternals probably ain't gonna crack that top ten. No, Eternals are not going to it. In fact, the only stories I know very well from them is when Cersei was an Avenger. Sure. And they're actually tying that in to this movie. Which, okay, for me, being a casual Eternals fan, if you can even call me that, all right, at least I have an idea of what possibly we're going with. But considering that this group has never had that much of a storyline or sustaining comic run that stands out and everybody is going at the comic shops, you know what would be really cool to see? That story on the big screen. This is a big gamble, in my opinion. And this is one that I've always said, if Marvel is going to take a miscue, this is probably it. Because we know that they've had success with taking obscure characters, mm -hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, Ant and made gold out of them. But with the Eternals, and we're tying in basically space mythology, this is a huge gamble because they're not exactly the funny, quirky team that the guardians of the galaxy is well and this might be a case where people come out of it going why did they make this i don't quite see where this fits in and it's one of those things where it's like you have to wait and see down the road because you don't have all the pieces to the puzzle yet right so we are going to have to be very patient about it to come out but we finally were released the trailer to the big movie that is coming and i'm not saying i told you so but go back a couple episodes i told you so pad did leak that it was coming very very soon so we are going to break down the Eternals trailer. So if you haven't seen it yet and you still want to avoid spoilers, we're giving you fair warning now because we are going to deep dive into it in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? Uh, I will admit I'm not necessarily skeptical about the movie. I'm just kind of not sure what to expect because I know absolutely nothing about the Eternals. So I know I said on previous episodes, it's like I give you a judgment on Eternals, but I got to see something before I make a judgment call. I'm intrigued. Uh, if for no other reason than to learn who the characters are and, hey, Kit Harrington's in it, and Kit Harrington's a great actor. Uh, this whole cast is stacked from top to bottom. And I'm also intrigued to learn a little bit about them and figure out why they sat around and did nothing for so many events throughout the history of the world. I will admit, 
at first watch, I got Ang Lee Hulk vibes. Oh, okay. That I felt that this was a very artistic film. Could and be. it's not to say that it's a bad film, but for me, this didn't really wow me. It just seemed like it was very, very visually intense. Yeah. But really, what were we telling here? Because as the trailer opens up, we get this pan shot of a camera that's going over the ocean to an island. Yeah. From there, we see the people that are living on the island coming out to the coast edge. And it appears that something is going on. And it appears that this is very early on or very far in the past in human history because the shot is of an older woman who's got this kind of like, I don't want to call it rags, but it's like. It looks like it's handmade. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like it's bought in a, in a store or online, you know, and it's flapping in the breeze. And then you've got this this younger boy, maybe 10, 13 years old, somewhere there, uh, running towards this person on the beach. And again, very baggy clothes look like it's very easily like could be picked up and worn by anybody, no matter, you know, what size or, or height you are. Uh, and the woman looks like she's hunting fish or, or something on the beach because she's got this long pole with a bag and the b- little boys are carrying a bag towards her. So it looks like it's very early in human history. Yeah. So the, as you, obviously that being said, when they see a spaceship appear in the sky, it's kind of a startling event. And as we see who is in there, but Circe, played by Gemma Chan, and Icarus, who is played by Richard Madden, who we all know from Game of Thrones. Right. So we see them looking over, and you see Cersei say, oh, look how peaceful this looks. And just kind of gives a quick one-liner to it. And then the trailer kind of proceeds to go through. You do see Angelina Jolie appear as Thena. You do see Salma Hayek appear as Ajax. And we start seeing more of the team appear as they're kind of just witnessing the powers of the Eternals. And then we see the civilization is getting impacted by the Eternals on the beach. And we're seeing how they're growing. And we do see a more shot of Thea played by Angelina Jolie, and it appears like she's training for something. We don't yeah. know what, but she apparently is training and fight and practicing her fighting techniques. Then we get a group shot of the castle and, I guess, the community that they have built. I mean, it, it looks like, you say castle, but to me, having played a couple of Assassin's Creed games, it looks like any sort of civilization that was, was around back in, I don't want to put a year on it, but back in like ancient civilization times. That it reminds me of something I would see in some of the Assassin's Creed games that took place in, like, Egypt or the Middle East or something like that. Yeah, that could definitely be. I mean, for me, it was just very impressive seeing the wall show up. Yeah. And then they are focusing more on Gemma Chan's Circe's character as she's going through this civilization. And you're seeing her just progress through time. That we see her appear in modern time and she's kind of lurking around. And then we do see there is some fighting in the castle civilization like because like i say it just reminds me of the medieval times when you had cities living inside castles a la game of thrones not saying the same thing so before anybody starts hitting me online about this we do see that there is a big battle we do see that there is some loss we do see an appearance though from who i'm assuming is going to be one of the villains of the film and they haven't really said and that's barry keoghan who's playing druig who's kind of a different eternal in his own right but he does have mind control powers right so we do see him appear as well we do see a quick shot of brian tyree henry who's playing festus who's kind of a cosmic inventor that's the easiest way to describe him Mm -hmm. and we see that they're just kind of dealing with 
time jumping a little bit. Yeah, I mean, because the one thing that they bring up in the trailer is that like they've never interfered interfered with what's going on, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, and, they, and they keep showing these battle scenes, so like fighting in the ancient times, fighting you know a little further on when when like flintlock pistols are a thing and like uh, muskets are a thing. Yeah, that like no matter what's gone on and what's taken place, they've always just kind of like, yeah, we're not getting involved in this. We're just hanging out. We're just here for the fun. Yes. So it is kind of interesting to see how this all plays out. And then we get this big group shot of them floating in space, connecting via energy. And I'm not exactly sure what is going on there. You yeah. Do, you do see another shot of Athena with her sword and what she's getting ready to battle because she's known as the most fierce warrior of the Eternals. Then it goes back to Icarus and Circe again. And you're kind of seeing how they're getting married and kind of just rekindling their romance throughout mm-hmm. time which is going to play a factor a little later in this trailer, in my opinion. And then we get a shot of Kumal Nanjani, who's playing Kingo, who does, uh, he projects energy. Sure. So we do see that he is kind of uh, being involved in becoming a Bollywood actor. Yeah. And there's like a Bollywood scene involved. Yeah, it looks like something like that, yeah. Yeah, so there's a big dance sequence. And then you do see... There is more action that's going on as they're progressing through the years. So this yeah. is not going to be taking place in one time frame. This is now going to be like, I don't want to say a time travel movie, but it is kind of giving that vibe off. Yeah, Not in the traditional sense, but with the Eternals having been around since the dawn of time per se. Right. They're not exactly eternal. No. But... Their biology is a little shifted that they don't age. No, yeah. Like and, normal humans. Yeah, and there's one shot of a volcano erupting that, like, just based on the fact that the one shot we see when it cuts from ancient times to modern times is the modern times, it looks like it's over in London. And just kind of like the area of the world we're gathering from these shots, I'm willing to guess that the vol- quick volcano you see erupting is probably going to be Vesuvius. It could be. Because that's about the only, I know there's probably been more eruptions in that part of the world than Vesuvius, but that's the most famous one I can think of that everyone knows about. And mm. it would make sense that you have these, you know, eternal, no pun intended, people who are around since the dawn of time. It would make sense that they're in the neighborhood for that. And it's going to be really something if they were there and didn't stop it. Well, I almost wonder if they have a code in this sense of the Watchers. Maybe. That we know. That they're not supposed to get involved with the cosmic elements. And they did allude to that we have seen this happen and progress through time. We just have never been involved. But something is now bringing them to the forefront. Like I say, it's kind of an interesting story. And I think this is going to be the major driving point of this movie as we go forward. We do get a quick shot of Leah McHugh, who plays Sprite in the movie. That she is on a plane. Yeah, it looks like she's having a good time. Yeah. I mean, because she does appear to be a child, but she is really not. It's like because she's on a plane and there's a bar next to her with a lot of drinks on it. Right. So she is somebody that uh, has got a lot more going on with her story than they're leading on just now. And then we finally get a shot of everybody's favorite King of the North. The man who knows nothing. Yes. Kid Harrington. Kid Harrington, who's playing Dane Whitman, a.k.a. the Black Knight. Long stay of the Avengers and does have a romantic history with Cersei in the comics. And we do see a shot of those two together on screen here. Yeah. So that's why I said they're going to be borrowing a little bit from the comics in this sense, because at one point Cersei does join the Avengers. A little spoiler if you haven't read the comics, but we gave you fair warning. So that being said, I think that's going to be another driving point of the movie. And then it ends 
with a group shot of everybody standing together. So all the Inhumans are on the island. So they come off the ship. So I'm assuming that's going to be right in the beginning yeah. of the film. Yeah. Then they end with a, I don't want to say typical Marvel quip, but yeah, no, it is. let's be honest, they're having the family dinner, so to speak. And as they're sitting around, they mention, well, with no longer Iron Man and Captain America involved, who's going to lead the Avengers? And you see Icarus pipe up. He said, I could lead the Avengers. And there's a traumatic pause, and everybody starts laughing hysterically yeah. to end the trailer. So that being said, not a whole heck of a lot to understand what's going on with the movie per se. But the footage looked very interesting, looked very visually artistic. Yeah, well, and that makes sense because the director is one Chloe Zhao, who most recently directed a movie called Nomadland, which just won the Best Picture Oscar at the uh, Oscars award show this year. Right. So it definitely lives up to that billing. And it definitely looks interesting. But then again, we go to this point of, all right, where are they going to be in the MCU? How is this going to connect? How is this going to make me say, all right, I'm interested in finding out more about this franchise. I'm going to get invested like Guardians of the Galaxy. Because I, I'm going to use them as the benchmark for this. Guardians was such an obscure product that when it connected... It blew up. Well, and people were saying that that it was going to bomb, and it was going to be Marvel's first uh, bomb. Yeah, see, I still stand by this that I'm... You now, granted, I'm hoping this doesn't. I hope this is going to be a great film, but I still feel The Eternals has not sold me on this being a box office hit. I think this is going to be a good movie because of the cast that's involved and the director leading the, the film. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not sitting here going, wow, I can't wait to see this team in action. Well, I mean, it's a teaser trailer. It's just to kind of whet your appetite and get you interested in the film. There is another trailer being worked on right now. Right. And, we're, and I don't know when it's coming out, but I know for a fact that uh, the reason this one got moved up was because they're working on another one. Right. Which, I mean, that makes complete sense because, obviously, you want to just tease a little bit of what yeah, you have coming. Yeah, especially when it's a property that, let's face it, not a lot of people know. you got to whet the appetite a little bit and just kind of, like, introduce them a little bit, get show them the characters a little bit before you go you know, full full uh, full course meal, shoving it down their throat. Yes. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. But for me watching this, I wasn't exactly wowed. I mean, I was visually impressed by it. I kind of had the same vibe when I saw Legion for the first time. I was like, okay, this looks visually impressive. But trying to deep dive into where they're going to be going in the direction, it almost seems like they're going to be narrating the past of the MCU to lead it into the next phase. Could be, because... I'm- by and large, we don't know much about the past and how things got to be the where they are. And I, and I would get it. I mean, the biggest question I have, and I know a lot of people have that question, is, okay, if you're, you're these all-powerful beings that have been around since the beginning of time, where in the fuck were you for Infinity War and Endgame? See, I feel that they're going to take something out of the Watchmen role. Oh, that that we are not going to interfere with humanity. We are here to live amongst it and make it better. See, I feel like that's fine, all fine and dandy, but like with Thanos, Thanos didn't discriminate. Like anybody was on on the line for that whole, you know, half the universe was gone. I feel but like they're not excluded. They're not, but then again, there is a Thanos connection to the Eternals. That he has connections to the other counterparts to the Eternals, because in the comics the Celestials were making experiments, like we said about humanity. Some became Eternals, some became Deviants. Thanos has a connection to the Deviants. So I, and I'm not saying Thanos comes back in this movie, so before anybody hits me up about that. 
But there is some connection there, so I don't know if that's going to play into why they weren't involved. Yeah. But I'm throwing that out there. I'll so. say the comments on the YouTube video I'm looking at are having fun with us. Uh, one person goes, Thanos kills half the Avengers, the Eternals. You're doing great, guys. Uh, Thanos invades Earth and starts a war with the Avengers, the Eternals. Hmm, interesting. Go on. Uh, Thanos wipes out half the universe, Eternals. Oh, no. Anyway. Yes, it's interesting to see that they're going to be stepping aside, but unless there's something to draw them out, which I think there is, and this could be something to bookend on Infinity War, that if if, if they notice when Thanos appeared on Earth yeah, and his army showed up and he does have the connections to the Deviants, maybe that's something that brings them out. Well, I mean, he showed up on Earth, wiped out half the universe, and five years went by. Right. But it also depends on where they wiped out, too. I mean, that could be that faction, too. We, we don't know. There's a lot of questions that are coming that... We don't have a lot of background to ask on, which is a little kind of crazy to think about, but it is what it is. But for going in with this trailer, and like I say, it looks nice, but substance-wise, I'm not fully sold on exactly what they're doing just yet. So final thoughts on the trailer, Pad? It's kind of interesting. Like I said, I want to see it. I'm obviously going to see it, you know, but learn more about them and fight, figure out what's been going on with them and where they've been the entire time. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to go see the movie. Like I say, I wasn't wowed like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. But I'm not exactly saying this is going to be something not worth the time. I want to give it a shot. I want to give it a fair estimate to give it its due. Is it going to be great? Is it going to be bad? I don't know. We didn't see a lot to really sell me on the what's going to be going on other than we have these mythical creatures that are living amongst humans and they're making their own society. And something happens. What is that? Is anybody's guess. But I'm going to start trying to deep dive a little bit into the Eternals comics. Maybe I can come up with something by the next time the trailer comes out. But if not, hit me up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What was your thoughts about the Eternals trailer? Are you excited about it? Are you not? Can November come fast enough for you to go see this movie? Or you're like, nah, I'll get to it when I get to it. I want to have that conversation. Pad wants to have that conversation. So let's talk, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, welcome to The Jury Room, a true crime podcast. My name is Kevin, and I will be your host on this journey. We will be covering some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever be committed against humanity. We will be covering cannibalistic serial killers, decades-old unsolved mysteries, cold cases, missing person cases, and everything in between. The Jury Room Podcast is available on most major podcasting platforms. Please make sure you go subscribe and leave a review. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and Superman and Lois does not cease to amaze, impress, Uh and raise the bar on what the CW should be doing with their DC characters. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is facts. How this show has been so good, and in my opinion, how The Flash has completely ran out of gas, is mind-boggling that we go from a day and night difference. Yeah. Completely. Because The Flash, I'm sorry, like I'm going to probably catch the season finale and say, okay, let's try again next year. Because I'm just not invested in it. I know Impulse is coming. I'm excited to see what they do with that character. But other than that, I'm just not invested in what they're doing. But we'll have to kind of give that a little more time as that comes on because we are going to be talking about the latest episode of Superman and Lois. 
entitled Man of Steel. So we are going to give you fair warning right now. We do talk spoilers, so we give you that pause. If you want to not be spoiled, pause the podcast right now, watch the episode, and then jump back in at this time frame. Because when Pat and I start deep diving, we're not taking a break, folks, because we start deep diving in three, two, one. Pat, what did you think? I thought it was a very good episode. You know, real interested to see how things went and where and develop a little further. Uh, boy, oh boy, has Jordan got some anger issues uh, and some power issues. Uh, but interested to see where they go from here. This issue definitely had the little bit of the cliffhanger going on from last week because obviously we saw that Jordan Kent, the right now only super son of Clark Kent and Lois Lane, has been developing powers at a very unique rate. And rapidly. And, yeah, very rapidly, that it's now excelling the pace that Clark Kent originally had when he was a boy in Smallville. So now it becomes a question of what is going to happen with him as he's progressing at this pace. Clark Kent is still trying to figure this out because, like, once again, Tyler Hoechlin, amazing performance as always. And then to continue the work that Alex Garrison has been doing as Jordan Kent. Yeah. He's been doing a great job as well because he's really trying to embrace that he's somebody that's developing powers and doesn't know what's happening. No, and, and it's even tougher for Clark just because it's not happening the way it did for him. You know, very early on, I think it was with his heat vision, they're like, he's like, listen, I'm kind of out of my element here. I know what's going on with you, but it didn't happen for me like this. It, this is out of order. No, it's definitely out of order. So as last week's episode ended, Jordan was – having an attack and he didn't know what Clark did the quick x-ray scan on him. Yeah. Realized something was wrong. Immediately took him to the fortress of solitude where they have figured out that what is happening, Pat? Uh, he is getting his, uh, super hearing ability and it's really screwing with his brain because he's getting the, like basically the entire world sound or the entire immediate area sound all in his ear all at once. Right. So as Clark is trying to figure this situation out and he's giving his testimonial about how this lasted a couple weeks for him. Yeah. Jordan is kind of with that uncertainty of what's going to happen. And obviously he's now finally being accepted in high school and he's first having that acceptance. And they say, we have to pull you out now. Yeah. Again, Jonathan's got a cover for him. Jonathan Kent has been the quiet MVP of this show. I want to say this. Jordan Ellis or Elsass, I should say, has been an absolute trooper about being the good brother and supportive yet balancing his jealousy that is, Jordan has powers yeah. to a T. Yeah. Let's face it. Jonathan Kent literally took a punch on his throwing hand and shattered his hand. He ruined his future, possibly. Possibly. And now he has to go cover for his brother. Again. Again. To make everything good well, for so the family. There's only so many times you can come up with an excuse before somebody calls you out on your crap. Yeah. And he's playing this flawlessly. So kudos to him. Like I said, he's being quietly the MVP. Then the episode does switch a little bit to Lois's story about investigating Morgan Edge and is now tying in with Lana Lang and what is going on that this is now spreading throughout Smallville, that Edge obviously has access to kryptonite. What he wants to do with this is anybody's guess, but they do know that something is wrong in the town. So Lois is continuing to investigate. Meanwhile, Morgan Edge is definitely not happy with his assistant, Leslie. No. Because now that Lois knows about this, there has to be something that has to be handled there. Yeah, especially because it's one thing if just some average Joe or average Jane finds out about it. It's like, oh, let's just sweep this under the rug. Let's take care of this. Like, Lois ain't no average person. You know, she's a very intuitive person. She's very investigative. 
she's almost a thorn in the side for a lot of people where she's kind of relentless and won't let up until she has the story and knows everything. So he know Morgan edge knows that like, I can't just sweep this under the rug that like, she's not going to go away with any crap. I give her or fake story. I give her just like, Oh, you're wondering why I'm delving into this mine. Oh, here's the reason why I'm I need of this specific type of mineral for a part of my business. I'm really doing. And there's a big deposit of it. Like Lois will take that. Okay. And then proceed to look at like geographical surveys for the area just to find out if that mineral actually exists in the area. Like that's the level she'll take it to. Oh, exactly. Elizabeth Tolick, who plays Lois Lane, is doing a phenomenal job as well. And she's really bringing the reporter side out of Lois that we all know that she is the best reporter in the entire DC Comics and Cinematic Universe, bar Uh none. none. So that storyline is kind of taking up some more speed. And then we go back to... I want to say a familiar friend, but as we know when we get further in the episode, that's not the case, and that is Captain Luthor, mm-hmm. who is definitely pulling some stuff behind the streams. Wally Parks, yeah. who is playing him, is really keeping everybody guessing of what the true motive is because we do know that there is a past history with him and Lois Lane yep. from an alternate Earth, Yep, and that he is now on this Earth, and as Lois is trying to connect with him and really dig into what is happening because she already knows that he gave a false identity when they met up the first time. Right. Is now really deep diving into what is his big secret. And as we see, he tells Lois, we'll meet, but you can't tell anybody the truth, but I want to go in public. And then if we can't do this, then everything is off. Mm -hmm. Where now he is having another flashback to his earth. Yeah. And then how there is now a daughter, Natasha. Yep. And how they basically are trying to live their life, but then an army that is led by Superman uh-huh. attacks Metropolis. Yeah, living. so we get a little bit of backstory on why he hates Superman as much as he does. That obviously this is I don't think this is Earth X, but it's it's heavily implied that it's Earth X like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like Earth X, where Superman's gone like full injustice. He's pissed off, hates the world. You know. We saw the one scene earlier in the season where there was like the war scene in the trenches and he comes up and just kills people. Well, Captain Luthor and his family are are in the their apartment in uh, Metropolis and they're sitting there they're they're and all of a sudden Superman just like descends from the sky uh, into Metropolis and he just starts heat visioning buildings and just destroying buildings. And then a whole bunch of other superpowered people come down. Now they didn't never showed faces, so I'm not gonna sit here and go, "Oh, it was evil car, it was evil Supergirl." Like, no, they never showed faces, so it's just who knows who. Probably other Kryptonians, you know, who's to say that just descend from this guy and also just for no real rhyme or reason, we don't really know. They don't really say. Just start destroying Metropolis. Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting story that I know is going to get addressed even further as we go in the show. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of interesting to see how they're playing that off. And anytime you get an evil Superman, yeah, that's the behind the motivations. It always makes for the a great story. Oh yeah, because obviously Superman's the ultimate Boy Scout to see him played in a different light, and especially if they're going to copy Injustice, which I know they're not. But I mean, it, it's it, they're borrowing. It feels like a little bit from there was an episode of the animated series where uh, Star Labs was messing with some Brainiac tech. And they noticed it was like it ended up being a portal, and they realized, oh, they thought the machine didn't work, and they're like, oh no, it worked. The, the, the sky, the sky, uh, not skylights, but like the windows up in the ceiling are all shattered. And lo and behold, Lois finds out she's in a parallel Earth where she died, and Superman went full batshit crazy. Yeah, which obviously would set him off, and 
thus you get an injustice universe. Yeah, I mean the thing with it, it was injustice like, but it was more like what we see from the these flashback scenes, mm-hmm. where it's not like injustice like oh he's just a tyrannical ruler. Like it's kind of military like in the way he goes with things yeah. in, in this episode. It borrows from a couple other shows out right now, but yeah. I don't want to spoil them if anybody hasn't seen them yet. But you should probably check out Amazon Prime if you know what I'm talking about. So that being said. We do get a quick shift back to Jordan's superhero superhearing issue, mm-hmm. and it does kind of go to the teenage angst story, which yeah. I get, not mad about. Like, listen, they're kids. They're going to be doing this because he starts using it to listen to a conversation Jonathan is having with Sarah Cushing. Yeah. And that's Jordan's love. Yeah. Well, he's... It's his love interest. It's his love interest. You know, he, Jordan's having issues. He's got headphones on. They're trying, like... Silence, no, either noise canceling headphones, so kind of like so he doesn't get the world's worst migraine. Um, but he tries, he's trying to hone in on on his powers and try to really because the one thing Clark told him earlier, he's like, focus on a sound, focus on a specific sound. He pulls out his phone and he looks at a photo of this girl, uh, in the in the contact on contacts on his phone, and he kind of dials in and he listens and he picks out her voice. And he hears Jonathan talking to her. Jonathan talking to her because Jonathan just went through this whole thing where he's trying. He's trying to be the typical jock. Mm. He's sitting there going, "Oh, hey, ladies, well, you know, chatting to him." And she comes up. He goes, "Listen, they're out of your league." And he goes, "Oh, how do you know what my league is?" And they have a little back and forth. And he basically, you know, basically tells her like, "Hey, listen, you know, issues, and I understand that you ever need somebody to talk to." You know, I'm always here to listen. And Jonathan hears this and takes this as most teenagers do, and that's not well. No, he definitely punches something, and we notice that he's developing super strength. Yeah, because he decides to haul off and punch a wall, which, understandable, get it. Uh, But he puts a hole in the wall, and it's not just like his fist kind of just makes a dent in the wall. No, his fist up to his wrist goes into the wall. Yeah, so this is now proving that his powers are accelerating at a pace that I don't even think he's ready for. Yeah, because he because it's not like he's it's like oh darn I punched the hole in the wall. He kind of does it, pulls his hand back, and does the whole wait. What did I just do? Right. Then the story shifts back over to Lois with Captain Luthor, and Lois is trying to pry anything out of him. And yeah. He, the poker face he's given is absolutely incredible. Well, he's a little versed in dealing with her, just yeah. not that version, but he's he's uh, versed in dealing with a person of Lois's type. Yes. So this co- does come into play because while this is going on, Clark is investigating Luthor's whereabouts. Mm-hmm. And when he goes to the door, a voice comes over the AI system. And the voice goes, Captain Luthor? Yeah. And the reaction Clark has. That's understandable. Yes, because you don't say the name Luthor around Clark. Nope. Ever. Nope. Well, you you could, just he's going to go, wait, what? Yeah. So, obviously, while this is going on, Lois knows that something is happening with Morgan Edge Mm -hmm. and dealing with Kryptonite. Yeah. And Captain Luthor is saying that he needs to talk to Superman about this. But Lois is not saying, I'm not telling you anything until you tell me who you are. Yeah, I think she even says, like, listen, I just don't open the phone book and let anybody talk to him. Yes. Which even when Captain Luthor gets back to his base there and the AI says Clark was here, he's not concerned with that. No. So it does bring up another question because that's been his focus the entire time. Mm Mm-hmm. But now he's like, I want to know about the satellites that are talking about those mines, like why we know this is moving. And while this is going on, too, the stranger that Clark and Lois are trying to figure out, they're basically going all in on saying that that's Lex. Mm-hmm. It's somehow connected to Lex Luthor. We know it is. Yeah, Clark even says the Clark even says to Lois, like, they're in the truck together. They're like, I think we have a Luthor problem. Right. 
So that is when Clark and Lois are following the truck, like we say. And then Clark realizes that Luther is waiting for that truck to come right mm-hmm. down the road. Fully loaded and ready to fight. Yes, and as he sees there's an armored detail ready to have a shootout with him, he gets them out of the way, drops them off in some random mountain. Yeah. We don't know. They, they're like, what the hell? Superman things. So there is finally the meetup when Captain Luthor takes the ex-Kryptonite off the convoy. And then you have Lois, Clark, and Luthor all meeting. And Luthor is just asking Lois, do you trust him? Mm -hmm. And he is having flashbacks of the injustice moment when Lois, on his Earth, is giving the final goodbye and saying how Superman is evil. Well, yeah, because they're evil and they discovered uh, his one weakness, and that being Kryptonite. Yes. So... This is the moment when Luthor you understand his motivations because he sees on that on live TV Superman kill Lois. Yeah, with his daughter in the room watching their mother get killed. Yeah, it's an absolutely powerful scene. And then you just see him as in present time, our timeline, just go, I thought you would say that. So let's make the deal. I have to have the meeting set up with him, and then we'll go from there. Uh-huh. Which, yet again, I, I pose one question, and I said this to Pat off air, but I'm going to put this to you, the ODPH Society. What is it about Superman wearing glasses and nobody can figure out that Clark Kent is Superman? I don't know, but it's worked for 80-some-odd years. Jeez, but you figured that he would know who he is if that's the guy that was killing everybody on his planet. I mean, that's assuming there was a Clark Kent on their planet. We don't know that. Yeah, I mean... There might not have been. Clark might have got... uh, That version of Superman might have just gotten Earth and gone, yeah, I'm going to take this place over. There might not have been any good guy goody two-shoes. Might have been like a uh, Superman Red Sun type situation. Yes. So uh, after this... Lois has Clark get fingerprints from Captain Luthor because uh-huh. he was touching the box of the x kryptonite. He runs it to the DOD, the Department of Defense, to get fingerprinted yep. and let's figure out who he is. So Clark is leaving, and then meanwhile, Luthor is back getting ready for his attack on Superman. Uh-huh. So it does kind of go back and forth a little bit about a suitor armor that he's building when he first was going after Superman. Yep. Now, certain comic book fans are going to know what that suit was kind of vibing off of. Uh-huh. And we do get a little confirmation of that a little later in the show. Because then they do a little more jumping around about Jordan and uh, Jonathan, about the lo- the now the love triangle that is apparently forming with love Sarah. Love triangle that's not a love triangle because yeah. Jonathan says it's not. It's kids. It's reasons. So, yeah. I mean, they are giving some ample screen time to him. But, I mean, that was really the only thing that is happening. It was a cool moment between the two of them, though, because Jonathan comes home and Jordan confronts him about it. Like, why were you talking to the to the girl? And and Jonathan goes, wait, you were listening in on my conversations? And he goes, yeah, why were you talking to him? He goes, listen, you need to stop spying on me because I've covered for your butt every time you've been gone. Mm-hmm. People, You've been gone and gone missing after you've just you know had a great football game or whatever's going on. And they turn around and go, oh, where's your brother? And I've had to cover for you every time, and I've not said a word about having to do it. I've just done it, and here you are accosting me about something. Yeah, I mean, it's just typical teenage drama. But you know what? I was all right with this. I wasn't mad about it. They did give it a lot of time, so we know that that's going to be a plot line moving forward, and I'm okay with that because you can only do so much with Jordan getting his powers, yeah. Jonathan waiting in the wings, and then obviously the Jordan had another relapse of collapsing with the his powers now coming in the toe. Yeah. So that is something that's going to be, I, in my opinion, carrying on for a couple episodes. But the heart and soul of this episode specifically was once Superman had the meeting with Captain Luthor. Mm-hmm. And Superman is going back and forth like, trying to figure out what is going on, and he's saying about how big of a threat Morgan Edge is. And Captain Luthor says no. And he tells him that it's Superman. 
But he doesn't say it yeah. normally. Pad, he says it in kryptonite language. Yeah. So right there is kind of like a whoa moment, mm-hmm. which I was okay with. Not mad about yeah. it. And also at this time, Lois is getting informed by the DOD that, well... The we, fingerprints came back. The fingerprints are back. If they're not who you thought they were. They're definitely not who you thought they were. There's no Luthor involved. Nope. This person has been dead on Earth Prime uh-huh. for six years. Uh-huh. Who is this person, Pad? Some dude named John Henry. John Henry Irons, a.k.a. Steel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did not see this coming. No. Bravo. I was marking out about this because this is a cool flip of the character that obviously became super popular during the Death of Superman line. Yep. Is a very, very well-known and well-loved hero in the DC universe. I say, made an appearance in the animated series a couple times. I believe he showed up in Justice League Unlimited. or mm-hmm. Just- I think he showed up in Justice League or Justice League Unlimited, the animated series. Yes. I could, I could be wrong. Armored suit with a big-ass hammer that wrecks shop. Yeah, he does. Amazing character. Definitely should go check out some back issues of them. But I digress. So we get to this, and now we know that Steel, they'll just call him Steel because we can't yeah. call him Luther anymore, Yeah, hits Superman in a trap of red sunlight. Well, something that recreates red sunlight. He doesn't have a literal red sun there, but it, it recreates it. He gets the job done, and then he's saying that he is the Man of Steel and gets his yeah. hammer, and he's, and he's going to town on Superman with it. Yeah. And he's explaining, and he's basically breaking down how his hammer works, which, okay, I respect that they're explaining that to the audience. Yeah. But that's some superhero or supervillain 101. Yeah. Like, why do I tell you what's going on with my powers? <laughs> yeah. All the meanwhile, Lois is frantically driving with her little, I don't even know what the name of this thing is. It's the little device Clark gave her when she's in emergencies that he'll hear it and it'll cut through the noise of the world. And she's holding the thing while screaming, Captain Luthor is John Hatt. Like, she's screaming the whole thing, but of course he can't hear her. Right. Because he's getting his ass kicked. Yeah, he's getting his ass kicked. And during this time, too, Morgan and his assistant, Leslie, is hearing everything going on and basically gives the green light. You can move the ex-Kryptonite. Yeah, super, Superman's busy for a while. Superman's tied up. So once Lois is now getting involved and she's trying to get a hold of Superman, Jordan's superhero super hearing yeah. kicks in. Yeah, because if I'm not mistaken, uh, he and Jonathan are having a conversation and the hearing kicks in and he starts freaking out. And Jonathan goes, oh, my God, what's going on? You know what do you need? Do you need help? Like he's talking to him, but the sound keeps, fa- you can tell that the powers are dialing in. Cause the sound keeps fa- from uh, Jonathan is fading in and out, fading in and out. And he slowly, like you hear amidst the noise, Clark's voice of him talking and getting his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but John Jordan starts to hone in on it. And once he kind of can like gather himself enough to like wins through the pain and go, dad needs our help. Yes. And so, they steal the truck. They steal the truck. Nope. No driver's license. Nope. No learner's permit. Nope. Uh, I believe they even said I, it was either in that scene or a little later that they've only driven mom's car once. Yep. So they're just completely being reckless, but they do make the save because they do hit irons with the truck. Yeah, because Jordan finally dials in his super hearing. Because uh, while they're driving, Jonathan's just uh, starts yelling. I'm like, I need to know where to go. Do what you did when you heard me talking. Like, dial a focus in on that. And uh, Grace under pressure, he does. Yes. John takes the hammer, too, and smashes the machine that has the red sunlight. Yep. So Superman gets re-upped, and 
basically yeah. takes care of irons very quickly. Yeah, he almost uh, loses control there. Uh, they have to yell at him to stop, and he, and he does. Yes, because that's one thing with Superman. Because he, he thinks he's a Luthor. Yeah, he thinks he's Luthor, and that is something that is going to get a reaction out of him every time. Thus, when he's getting killed and getting his ass kicked, he's not exactly going to be starting to play nice. So he does yeah. get reeled back in before he does something very, very bad. And then... He takes irons to the DOD. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk to you later. Yeah, General Lane is like going to head up the investigation. Son tells me he ain't gonna be there long. He's not gonna be there long, and I already see how this is gonna play out. That he's gonna be their weapon X. So to yeah, speak. well, and that's the other thing too. We gotta remember is that he already talked to General Lane. Mm-hmm. He already planted that little parasite seed bug, whatever you want to call it, in General Lane's head that. Superman's nice and all friendly now, but that might not always be the case. You need to, you need to prepare yourself and get ready for that possibility, a la Batman. Yep. You know, with the Justice League and his contingency plans. And let's not forget that there was the end of the one episode where uh, General Lane made the phone call and said, you know, we need to open a project or whatever it was, entitle it, and it was the number on the back of the dog tag that uh, Steel gave him. Yeah. So General Lane, you know, all hunky dory and on his uh, good side now. Might not always be the case. No, he's definitely not. So during this time, there's going to be some more story to be played out there. There is a little subplot going on that Lana's project at work yeah, about selecting basically the employees of the month yeah, is now going to be unwittingly picking them for the first experiments of Morgan Edge's ex-Cryptomite yeah. ideas. Yeah, and you can definitely tell that Lana's not happy about everything going on that you know, while her husband might be selling what Morgan Edge is buying, she's not. And she's definitely, you know, see cutting through the fog and the crap a little bit. And she's seeing through it. But there's only so much she can do because she's under constant surveillance from Morgan Edge's own guys at work. Like, she's sitting there talking to somebody. And she goes, you know, she looks over and she sees two guys in basic. They're not basic. They're not suits, but it's a something akin to suits. You know, they're standing there looking at her. And she goes, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. So it's going to be something very interesting to see how that plays out. We do see the final shot of the Kents, and they're talking with the boys, and basically everybody's agreeing to talk to everybody. Hey, no more secrets. Yeah, the the Lois. Secrets almost got you killed. Yep. So now it's basically Lois is saying, okay, we're going to talk to them about everything. So everybody is now going to be allegedly on the same page. We'll wait to see how that happens. But the ending shot, though, is one final farewell for John Henry Irons, talking to his daughter, and basically explaining how he has one shot to kill Superman. Yep. He's going to take it. It's the final goodbye. And then we see him sitting in the cell with the hair tie yep. of Natasha. And then this the show ends. Man, what a great reveal. Yeah. Did not see this coming. No, this was probably one of the better plot twists I've seen in recent memory. Oh, facts. Like, the fact that they decided to bring in John Henry Irons and flip him like that was brilliant. Well, and I and I always figured that John Henry Irons would show up at some point. Just, you know, might be a character that makes an appearance for an episode, goes away, might come back every now and again. I didn't figure that they'd turn him and flip him. I you know, the thing about it is they're taking chances with characters we already know that are established because we know from the comics Jonathan Kent is supposed to be super, a Superboy. Right. He's not. No. It's Jordan Kent who's a completely brand new character. So you're seeing these elements happen, and we thought, okay, we're going to flip the Luthor script and have it be uh, 
the stranger, and yeah. we turn out as not. So yeah. we don't know anything about Luthor's. Obviously, is John Cryer is still right. Lex Luthor that we know is running in this universe, right? And and having another Luthor from another universe, not out of the realm of possibility. Multiverse is a thing, absolutely. You know, but I think the thing we should have been questioning is: is he actually Luthor? Because in every other instance, we've seen somebody from another universe come into this universe. They've looked the exact same, minus the whole Harrison Wells situation. Yeah. They've always come in and looked exactly like they do from what we knew on this earth. So we should have been sitting there from day one going, I don't think he's Luthor. He doesn't look anything like John Cryer. But, you know, that's the beauty of doing the multiverse, because you can have characters that are different ethnicity, different sexes, different everything. And they can come in and just it all depends on how the character is written. And for what they were doing, this was a great take on being Luthor because we had not really seen him be anything more than the scientist that is trying to do everything to save the planet because he feels that he is the best weapon for humanity to survive. Right. So to see this take as being Luthor, I thought it was great. I thought it was brilliant. But then to flip it to John Henry Irons, which I didn't even see coming. No, I didn't either. Fantastic. This has been such a great show from the get-go. And to see where we're going with it is now going to be anybody's guess because yeah. you, you know that John Henry Irons is not gone yet. Oh, hell no. We do know that we are going to have more of Morgan Edge and company as the season is progressing uh-huh. forward. And we do know we do have a season two, so they're going to take more liberties with characters we know from the Superman mythos. And, pr- and presumably we have a John Cryer Luthor waiting in the wings once Supergirl's all said and done with. In theory, yeah, because you know that they're going to have a Luthor one way or another on this show. Oh, yeah. They gave us a great bait and switch here. And like I say, to see John Henry Irons get brought up like this, it's going to be really fascinating to see who else they're going to flip like this. Because this is what you like to see done on your shows. When everything is just too predictable, it's not fun. Great reveal top to bottom. Loving this show. Loving everything they're doing about this. Cannot speak highly enough about this. We do know that this first season has 15 episodes. I know we're just hitting almost the midway point now because this is episode 7. But man, this show is delivered on all fronts. Let us know what you think, though. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about episode 7 of Lois and Superman? Or should I say Superman and Lois? titled Man of Steel. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You know what that sound means? It's another episode of Game for a Movie, where we ask, are you game for a movie? Tell me, Andre. There's no special features on that goddamn DVD. All right? Wow. For Hansel and Gretel? Hansel and Gretel. You have a DVD of Hansel and Gretel. She basically has sex with it, somehow. Foreplay. Yes. She's chair foreplay. I mean, they knocked out of the park, which is why it's my number three. So. Oh! <laughs> yes. I mean, I wouldn't be in it because this movie doesn't have women. But, you know, it's you fine would, right. It has one? You would have three lines of dialogue. So it's three. Oh. Okay. So I'm actually going to get, like, I actually get, like, I earn my, my, my four sentences of dialogue rather than, like, here, I'm a paycheck. You just stood there on the screen. You're a sexy lamp. Because they really hate each other, so we get to enjoy some wonderful comedic scenes of them hating each other so much that they get into physical altercations that include her biting detective ex-detective Phillips's dick. Okay. But we don't okay. need a hot tub. I, I know all of those words were English. But the way you constructed yeah, them, I'm, I'm lost. Not, I'm not finding the rings <laughs> very well. 
for those who haven't rated us or uh, liked or given us a review, don't say that we haven't given you anything of value after listening to this podcast. You now know the difference between an R-rated dick and an NC-17 X-rated dick. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to Game for a Movie, where we ask, are you game for a movie? We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And damn. Fear the Walking Dead. I am screaming this at the top of my lungs. You need to get on board if you have not done this already. Because holy shit. This show has been delivering everything you want from a horror comic to the small screen perfectly. This is the show, like I keep saying, and I know I sound like a broken record and I don't care. This is the show that The Walking Dead wishes it could be. I am fully saying that with 100% facts. Okay. That they're taking chances. They're making big moves happen. The writing on this has been phenomenal. And definitely shout out to the Fear the Walking Dead writers that do listen to this show because that is fact. But I'm not saying this because they listen. I am saying this because it's 100% fact. This show has been clicking on all cylinders since it has come back. Doing big moments each episode. This one was no exception. I'm going to break down the latest episode entitled Mother, episode 14 of the season six. So if you have not watched this episode yet, first and foremost, shame on you. Second of all, watch it. Jump back in the conversation because I want to start deep diving it into three, two, one. So what did I think? Well, Pad, your favorite psycho cult leader. John uh, Glover. Yes. Teddy, we had his origin story, so to speak. And it's just as batshit crazy as you think. Because we did find out a little bit about his history that he was a serial killer. And he was in jail. And during this time in jail, he's watching an executed prisoner or a prisoner going for execution walk in front of him to death row. Okay. And he's saying the end is beginning. And he's like cheering him on. Like, you have new life. Like, it is so creepy of how absolutely disturbed he John Glover is playing Teddy. Mm. It's fascinating. Like, it is kind of gave me, in a small sense, like a Hannibal Lecter vibe. Oh, okay. Like, he is just that captivating and creepy in his own right. But during this moment, though, we do see this is when the zombie apocalypse happens. And then everybody starts turning into zombies in the jail. And during this time, the prison door is opened for Teddy to escape. And after he kills one zombie, he takes his mother's picture that he has hanging on the wall and is saying, like, see, I wasn't crazy after all. This is what I've been prophesizing all this time, which is just goes to show about how absolutely off the rocker he is. Right. But during this, now they flash forward to our present time where we do see that he's ready to make his big move with his cult that he's leading. And he still does have Alicia, played by Alicia Dem Carey, in the ranks and is going out of his way to try converting her oh. to his cause. And it's not happening. Like, she's fighting it back because the only reason that she is still there is she is trying to find out what he's up to, what is the end game. That is it. She's not doing the double agent, or she's being a double agent, but she's not fully drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak. However, we get an appearance from somebody that I'm just sitting there going, why, oh, why, oh, why are we here? And that is Dakota, played by Zoe Coletti. Virginia's daughter, who is killed John Dory, who is basically a serial killer in training. Sorry, it is what it is. Yeah. 
And Dakota is sitting there trying to make amends for what she's done. And like all good plans, they go up in smoke. Because she is there and Alicia is like, what are you doing here? I don't want you here. And then Teddy is like, well, who is this? Who is your friend? And he starts grilling Dakota and finds out, oh, yeah, I killed some people. Well, did, was there a reason for it? Well, yeah. Right. Well, hello. It was like doing the Ewan McGregor. Oh, well, hello there. Hello there. Yes. It was like that moment. Like he's like, okay, this is somebody that definitely can hang with us. General Kenobi. It's one of those creepy moments. So Teddy is going, well, you know what? I think we need to go on a field trip. So let's go the three of us. Meanwhile, Nick Stahl, who is playing the character Riley, is going like, what are you doing? Right. This is absolutely insane. And he's like, no, no, no. Here's the keys to the submarine. Hang on to them just in case something crazy should happen. You know what to do. But we're going to go on a little trip. And where do they go? They start heading to a cemetery. Because during this time, they are just going back and forth about like why Dakota is there. And Dakota is like just trying to tell anybody that will listen. Like, right. listen, I'm here for the right reasons. I promise you I am. Teddy goes there and starts digging up a grave and says, well, now you can join us. And who, Pad, who do you think he's talking to? Uh, it's a skeleton. Negan. No, his mother. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, let, let's get fucking weird. Yeah. And he says, well, she's going to be joining us in our new phase of life. Because that's something everyone says. Wraps up the skeleton and posts it in the back of the truck. Nope, that was not a typo. That was not a misstep. Nope, that really did happen. Which, yet again, okay, here we go. So as they're going back, Alicia is still trying to dig into the plans, and she's alluded to Dakota as well. I'm not leaving here, and I'm not going to kill him until I figure out what is going on. But as they're driving back, they do hit a spike in the road, and they do have to break down. They are confronted, though, by a group of individuals, Okay. one of which is a character by the name of Cole. Now, if you've been a longtime watcher of Fear the Walking Dead, you know who Cole is, played by Sebastian Sozzi. And he was part of the group that was at the baseball stadium. Ah, okay. That Madison, Alicia's mom, was running, and obviously that was a whole season in itself. And he now has a reuniting moment with Alicia. So this is kind of a cool moment, too, that he we do hear some more about when the stadium fell, what happens. And Cole is saying that basically Madison saved everybody by sacrificing herself. But once we escaped, we were ambushed and killed. That a lot of the survivors that left didn't make it out. Right. But he's there with a couple other friendly faces. We do know Vivian and Doug, and they were part of the group that was at the stadium. But now we do see that it has been flipped a little bit. That now they are basically pulling a Negan in their own right. That they're robbing and killing Anybody who comes across them. Of course. Because, well, it's a zombie apocalypse. They got to do and, what they got to do. And reasons. Yeah, they got to do what they got to do to survive. So you understand what they're doing. Obviously, it's not right. And then basically they're saying, well, we're going to kill Teddy, Dakota, and Alicia. Right. And Alicia is fighting to save Teddy. Now, not because she cares about him, but basically you can't kill him off until I figure out what's going on here. And, like, they're going the back and forth. And they're sure. saying, if you do this, you ruin everything my mom set up to do to save you. And you're basically ruining why she died. But one thing that this group failed to realize, Pad, when you kill somebody in The Walking Dead, what happens? 
Uh, they usually turn back into a zombie. Uh-huh. And they decide to stick around a little too long. Because during this back and forth, which, by the way, Teddy, your guy, uh-huh. was being the complete devil on the shoulder. Well, you know you're going to have to kill him, right? Yeah. Alicia, you know you're going to have to shoot him. Because he's going to kill us. Now, do you think your mom would be happy with this action? Uh, no. Like, he starts going into it, and then Cole sees this skeleton and says, oh, this thing really means a lot to you. I heard you talking to it. And, he, and I believe he said something along the lines of, like, I already killed her. I was just trying to bring her back for fun. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, it, sure. It's something paraphrased like that. He said some weird-ass line, and I'm just going, oh, my God, because Cole starts shooting the skeleton. Of course he does. And thus... That is what makes the group stop, and that is what brings back the zombies that they just killed when they just robbed them. Oh, jeez. So, not exactly the smartest move by him. No. I digress, because he has them ready to get set up killed, a la Negan, Glenn style. Everybody's down. Sure. Getting ready to go. That went over well. Yes. So, thus, when the zombies come back, it's a distraction Alicia needs to take out the gun, and then you see that... Our former friends, Vivian and Douglas, are getting eaten alive right. by zombies. And then t- and basically it comes to a standstill with Alicia and Cole. And Alicia has a gun drawn on. She has her her gun through a zombie. Oh. Like she's holding like the dead one up as a shield. Really cool job done by the special effects team. I got, But once again, it's Walking Dead, so you know they got great special effects and costumes and makeup and artists and the whole nine. So they're having the standoff. And basically this is when Teddy's egging it on and going... You know what? We're going to have to get this done. You're going to have to do right. this. And she's like, shut up, shut up. And she's trying to talk Cole into doing it. And Cole's like saying, I'm going to have to kill you. I'm going to have to do this. And then finally, Alicia shoots him in self-defense. Oh, jeez. Yeah, because basically it goes back to the mother aspect, which is something Teddy was driving the entire time. He said, look what happened. Dakota had to kill her mom. Right. And he's like, that, w- that wasn't what happened. But she does kind of allude to that her actions was the responsibility for it. He goes back to Alicia. Your mom was the reason that everything has happened here. So you have to do this. And he is really honing in. Like, I can't stress enough. The job he did really selling the character. Like, John Glover has been doing lights out work. And has been such a very unique antagonist in the Walking Dead world that he was absolutely just eating up the scenery. Oh, I maintain he's got a very forgettable scene in Batman and Robin where mm. it, it's it's one scene and he's gone. He is the most smarmy, sneaking, sniving, conniving son of a bitch you'll ever meet when he plays Lionel Luthor in Smallville. That like he is like he I'm sure he can play other roles and he can play good guys and he can play, you know, those Twilight guys, you know, and I don't mean the, the vampire books. I mean, those like kind of dark, kind of good, you know, not sure where they lie. He's real good at playing the bad guy. Yeah. And he did a phenomenal job here. Like I said, he was just the guy just egging her on and being the devil on her shoulder and just basically forces her to kill Cole. And at the end of it. Teddy was basically going, you know, the whole idea about this, I just wanted to show you how useless your mother's sacrifice was. <laughs> and basically said, yep, you know how useless this was, digging her grave up and bringing it back? Same thing you've been doing this entire time. Good you've Lord. been dedicated to the wrong cause. Holy gee. And at this point, Alicia does get him to fess up what is happening because he basically says, this is why I wanted you to join us because – now, once we go to the submarine, because I got the keys now, we're going to use the nuclear missiles to destroy the world oh, and start that's... this over. Immediately, Alicia pulls the gun on him, 
grabs the walkie-talkie that she has and finally gets a warning out to Strand, who's her one friend that she goes back and forth with at Morgan's camp. And he's Strand finally hears and she's going, I know what they're doing. I know it's you got to stop them. And, and meanwhile, the minute she does this, Riley and the rest of the cult shows up, takes her into captive, and they go to what appears to be like a casino resort. Okay. It's like a hotel, a very, very fancy uh, place of residence. And they go underground. So Teddy is sitting there telling her the entire time, I knew I picked the right person for this. Mm. I knew I picked you correctly because you have what it takes to lead. And I knew the minute we had that interaction, that connection, you're the heir to my throne. And she's like, I will never go along with this plan. And he's like, you don't really have a choice. And as he's leading her to the basement, he's still talking and she's still unable to escape. He puts her basically in an isolation chamber and says, once we succeed, you'll get out. You can lead the rest of the world. And walks away, and she's like, you'll never get away with this. And she's, like, screaming, and he's like, yes, I have, and yes, I will. Yeah. And just kind of goes away. Like, it it was such a awesome, awesome episode. Just the little nuances that they did and the overall lying theme of the mother relationship with their children that Glover was exploiting as the character of Teddy. The serial killer was playing everybody the entire time. Now he has a, a true error in training in Dakota because she's absolutely crazy out and out of her mind. Alicia got wind that something is going on. She knows what's happening. So now she's drawn attention to the cult, which has finally left their underground base and is now taking up residency at this casino. And now we have two episodes left, and they look intense as all hell that Morgan and company are making the final stand. Like I have said this entire season, Fear the Walking Dead is taking risks. They're taking dramatic turns with their characters. They're not afraid to kill off people at a drop of a dime. Sounds like it. This is what you want from this show. This is what you want from The Walking Dead. This has now got me entertained and hooked. I'm like, every episode, I'm all in. Give it to me. Because we went from having Virginia, who is a great character too. Like I said, I'm, I'm not ripping on her too much. But was very much like in the sense of the governor and Negan. Like once you have the head of somebody that runs a group and an organization, I don't want to say it's cookie cutter, but you need some character to really stand out. And she did a great job too with it. So like I said, I'm not going to fault her at all about this. Colby Minifee is an amazing actress. She she crushes in every role. But to take the twist with the doomsday cult and the work that John Glover has been doing on the show, freaking fantastic. It will make your skin crawl a little bit and just how absolutely nuts he is. And just seeing how his plan is almost coming to fruition. Like we say, we have two episodes left and it's the season finale. I cannot stress enough, if you're looking for a, se- or a series to binge watch over the summer, seriously, get on board with Fear the Walking Dead. You will not be disappointed. Well, saying if you're into zombies, uh, after you binge watch that, I would recommend also Black Summer. Uh, it's on Netflix. Uh, great first season. Should be coming back for a second season at some point. Ooh, all right. I definitely have to check that out. Yeah. But right now, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in my fear mix. This is my show right now. I am absolutely enthralled with the show. I'm telling you, if you gave up on The Walking Dead, give this a shot. If you don't want to go back, you don't have to go back. But I'm telling you, you're missing some great TV, great writing, great acting. It's fucking fantastic. 
So definitely hit me up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about episode 14 entitled Mother of season six of Fear the Walking Dead? Is it as great as I said? Because I think it is. And I will definitely debate people about this online at OD Parlay Hour. We'll have a great conversation. I don't attack anybody, nor should you attack me about my opinions. It's why we're fans, folks. Let us have that conversation, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Greetings, henchmen and loyal subjects. I am Evan the Great. And I'm JVD. We're your hosts of the Fictional Battle Podcast, Crossover Collision, brought to you by the Villains Demand. If you love hearing in-depth breakdowns of your favorite characters and what they are capable of doing while fighting in random battlegrounds against other fan favorites, then this is the podcast for you. New episodes drop every Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or over on thebuildsman.com. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got for those one shots? Got a, uh, two things to talk about. First, I'm going to save you some money if you're a PlayStation owner uh, because Sony right now has their sale going on. I believe it is called the uh, Days of Play event. Uh, this is taking place now through uh, June 9th. So these are not going to go through everything. You could ch- check out uh, the PlayStation Store if you're a PS4 owner uh, or PS5. Uh, and check out the full, because there's a whole bunch of stuff on sale, but this is the stuff that jump. These are full games uh, or deluxe or better versions of the games that are a absolute steal, and I think you should check out. Uh, so the first one of which being Need for Speed Heat Deluxe Edition. Uh, this one normally on the PlayStation Store will fetch you $69.99. Uh, this one is on sale uh, for 80% off. You'll get it for $13.99. Uh, so with this one, it's the Deluxe Edition. You get a whole bunch of cars added, uh, available to you at a earlier than normal. Uh, character outfits plus some other things going with it. So definitely give that one a check out. Uh, the, also, you have Final Fantasy 15 Royal Edition, uh, which is normally $34.99, but is on sale for 50% off. So you get this one for $17.49. Uh, so this one you get uh, a new uh, reading from the PlayStation Store website, uh, a new dungeon leading straight into the game's climactic end, first-person view mode, uh, allowing players to see uh, through the main character's eyes, new gear, new bosses, and more plus additional trophies, and then you get all current seasonal pass content, uh, including the episodes about the various uh, characters that are involved in the game, multiplayer expansion, comrades, uh, plus you get a bonus item, uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, You've got Batman Return to Arkham, uh, which is the HD remastered version of Batman Arkham Asylum and then Batman Arkham City. Uh, this one you normally get for uh, $19.99, but it is 70% off. Wow. Uh, so you get it for $5.99. You get both games, uh, better graphics, plus every DLC content that came out for both games for $6. That's ridiculous. That's a really good deal. That's so freaking ridiculous. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got Assassin's Creed Origins Gold Edition, uh, which I've mentioned before. Uh, it is uh, normally $99.99. Uh, it is on sale for 80% off, so it's $20. Jesus. Assassin's Creed Origins is a phenomenal game. I had played Assassin's Creed up to Black Flag. I did not finish Black Flag because I hit a point where there was a ridiculous sneaking mission and I couldn't get through it and I just kind of gave it up and I didn't play any. Plus, the games that came out after were bug-filled and almost unplayable, so I just kind of fell off the wagon. But I heard Origins was really good. I picked up. I can say Origins is a really friggin' good game. Uh, If you're an Assassin's Creed fan and you haven't played in a while, definitely give Origins a pickup. But with the uh, Gold Edition, what do you get for it? Because it's a steal for 20 bucks. Uh, so the deluxe pack, uh, the the gold edition includes the game, the deluxe pack, 
and season pass giving you access to all major expansions so the deluxe pack gets you an additional mission uh and a, a thing called the desert cobra pack which includes one outfit two legendary weapons a legendary shield and a mount uh then you get the season pass which comes with everything like this is a steal it's normally a hundred dollars that's fucking ridiculous but you can get it for twenty dollars uh by itself also kingdom hearts hd 1.5 2.5 remake or remix i cannot stop uh, shilling these games enough i love the hell out of them uh normally this bundle will give one uh run you 49 dollars 99 it is on sale for 75 percent off so it's only 12 dollars 49 you get in this one desk for not even 15 dollars you good luck you can buy lunch for that money mm-hmm. uh you get kingdom hearts final mix you get uh which is a full game you get kingdom hearts rechain of memories which is a full game count them two so far you get Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days, which is an HD remastered cinematic, so you get a movie. Mm. Uh, you get Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix, another full game. Uh, you get Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep Final Mix, fourth full game. Plus you get uh, Kingdom Hearts Recoded, which is an HD remastered cinematic. So for uh, less than $15, you can get four full games. That's for. Which you trust me, if you do like everything and you go through and you complete everything, collect everything, open everything, you will get north of fifty hours out of every game. That so, that is ridiculous. That's a steal. I mean, uh huh. That's for, what I'm saying. I yeah. I mean, you're not kidding about this because no. I mean, just to get all that hours of con- quality content, man. Yeah. Whew. Also from Kingdom Hearts, uh, the Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue, normally fifty nine ninety nine on sale for seventy five percent off, so only fourteen dollars and ninety nine cents. So with this one, you get the uh, Kingdom Hearts zero point two Birth by Sleep, a fragmentary passage. Uh, this was originally going to be the intro for Kingdom Hearts three. They decided to make it its own thing, so it's 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 a little on the shorter side, but it's still you get maybe three four hours out of it. It's pretty good. Uh, you get the Kingdom Hearts uh, back cover, which is a movie. Uh, it's a, a new HD movie that tells the mysterious story of the foretellers from the series origins. Uh, this was the story that was told in the mobile game that uh, recently shut down. Like you can still play it, but the online portion of it is no longer active. Uh, if you are in the Kingdom Hearts series and will continue to play the Kingdom Hearts series, I highly recommend you watch that story because it's going to play a factor very much uh, coming down the road. Uh, and then you also get Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance HD, which is a full HD remaster of a game that was originally on the Nintendo 3DS. So you get two full games, another movie, all for the low price of $15. Another great steal. Uh, also, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey Gold Edition, uh, normally $99.99. On sale for 75% off, so it's only $24.99. Seriously, it's uh, the gold edition for this is much like the Origins Gold Edition. It's a steal at that price. Uh, also, you've got uh, Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled plus Spyro Game Bundle. This will normally run you $74.99, 60% off. Uh, it's only $29.99. So in this game, you get... The crash team, uh, you get the, I'm trying to find it, where is it? There it is. Uh, so it goes, this includes Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. Uh, it is the authentic Crash Team Racing experience, plus a whole lot more. Fully remastered and revved up. Experience the original game modes, characters, tracks, power-ups, and controls. Power slide to glory with additional characters, carts, tracks, and arenas from beyond Crash Team Racing. Crash the competition with online play. Plus, uh, you get the Spyro Reignited Trilogy, same sick burns, same smoldering attitude. You get Spyro the uh, the Dragon 1, Spyro 2, Riptide, Ripto's Rage. Plus, you get Spyro Year of the Dragon. You get four games 
and a whole lot of fun, all for the low, low price of $30. That's, that's so ridiculous. Like, oh, I, yeah. I'm just like, if you're hearing me be super quiet, I'm just analyzing this in my head, going, how much are you saving with all this? Oh, yeah. No, you're saving a lot because I remember playing Crash Team Racing back when it came, originally came out on PlayStation 1. That's a freaking fun game. Yeah. Uh, so you get a lot of hours out of it, and especially Spyro games. Spyro games are phenomenal. Uh, also worth noting, uh, Just Cause 3 Double XL Edition. Uh, this one will normally run you $29.99. 85% off. You can get it for five, $4.49. Uh, so this includes uh, the follow, the game, Just Cause 3, the three expansions, Air, Land, and Sea Expansion Pass. Although I will warn you, uh, when you get into a certain rocket launcher weapon with the Sea Expansion, make sure whatever you're shooting at is not close to you. You will die. Okay. There's a there's a uh, rocket launcher weapon they put in the C expansion, which basically fires off a nuke. Okay. Uh, and if you're at close range, and that's a very long close range, you will die because it goes off and it kills you. Uh, so you get the expansions, you get the weaponized vehicle pack, explosive weapon pack, Reaper missiles mech, and the Kuso, uh, Kuso, Kusova, uh, butchered the hell out of that, K-O-U-S-A-V-A rifle. Uh, this is a great game. It's a lot of fun. You'll get a lot of fun out of it. And at, uh, at $4.49, that's an absolute steal. Uh, also, uh, you've got the Dead Rising Triple Pack, uh, which includes uh, Dead Rising 1, Dead Rising 2, and Dead Rising 2 Off the Record. Uh, you normally run you $59.49 on sale for 75% off, so it's only $14.87. It's three games, folks, for less than $15. Well, a little over $15 once you factor in tax. Uh, also notable, uh, Watch Dogs 2 Gold Edition normally runs you $89.99, 80% off, $17.99. Read about it. Yeah, so this uh, comes with uh, the entire game. Uh, Plays Marcus Holloway, a brilliant young hacker living in the birthplace of the tech revolution, the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, the Gold Edition gives you access to the game. The Deluxe Edition, uh, which is the Urban Artist Pack and Punk Rock Pack, plus the Season Pass. Uh, and with the Season Pass, you get access to all the Mission Packs and exclusive benefits. Uh, so, good lord, great steal. Uh, and then also, last but certainly not least, the Assassin's Creed Le- Legendary Collection. Okay. This one will give you access to uh, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, Assassin's Creed Rogue Remastered, Assassin's Creed Unity, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, Assassin's Creed Origins, and Assassin's Creed Oddity. Uh, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six games. Uh, normally runs you $199.99. It's a lot. Yeah. It's about, it's a, that's almost near a, a Nintendo Switch. Yep. 70% off. Wow. $59.99. So for the price of one game, you get four. You get all that. If I counter right, that was four. Yeah, let's just double check. You get uh, Black Flag, which is one, Rogue, two, Unity, three, Syndicate, four. Uh, no, it's six. Uh, so you get six. You get six games for what is essentially, the, after tax, the price right, of one. Right, it's the price of one. Like, I'm just sitting here trying to process. Like, man. It is a stupid good deal. Like I said, there's that. Those are some of the notable ones and probably the best ones you'll save your money on. There's a whole bunch more. There's other games that are on there for sale, plus DLC, plus add-ons. You know, I know the Destiny 2 stuff is on there as well. So, like I said, if you're a PlayStation fan, definitely give it a check out and check out some of the deals. Uh, I recently, they were doing a sale 
last week or the week before, I forget what, but I was, uh, they were, had the Yakuza digital bundle games, which are from Sega. They've been going since like 96 or something mm-hmm. that I always thought about playing it, but I just never was able to find a copy or like a bundle copy and play them. But I was perusing the PlayStation store the other night last week and saw that the Yakuza games digitally were on sale. Uh, I picked them up for like 30 bucks or something like that. So I got three games uh, for half the price of one. So mm. definitely give it a check out. It's always worth it. It's always worth checking out some of those deals. You never know what you find. Absolutely loaded about that, man. That's great calls there, Pat. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing I got to talk about, probably the biggest news of the week, the one that I'll be honest, I'm surprised it happened this fast. Uh, the deal officially went through. Amazon has bought MGM Studios for the low, low, low price, although it's low if you compare it to other deals that have gone down in recent history, uh, of $8.45 billion. So <sighs> this one came down today. Uh, MGM, which was founded in 1924, uh, is now being added to Amazon Studios. Uh, they said they are going to, uh, Amazon said they're going to preserve MGM's heritage and catalog of films. Uh, for Amazon, basically it adds more than, uh, Amazon, which has more than 4,000 movies and 17,000 TV shows in its catalog, uh, is going to definitely just, uh, bring an added boost to Prime Video uh, because it will bring in properties such as Pink Panther, so not the cartoon character, but the comedic uh, French inspector movies. Mm-hmm. Are the Rocky films and yes, the James Bond films. Uh, so, quote, uh, the real financial value behind this deal is the treasure trove of intellectual property in the deep catalog that we plan to reimagine and develop together with MGM's talented team. Uh, Mike Hopkins, senior VP of Prime Video and Amazon Studios, said in announcing the deal. It's very exciting and provides so many opportunities for high quality storytelling. Uh, Hopkins noted that MGM Productions collectively have won more than 180 Oscars, 100 Emmys, and the studio has roughly 800 employees uh, digitally, or excuse me, uh, 800 employees globally. So yeah, uh, among the films that are basically uh, um, Amazon's going to get control of, 12 Angry Men, Basic Instinct, Creed, the Rocky films, uh, Legally Blonde, Poltergeist, RoboCop, Stranger, uh, Silence of the Lambs, Stargate, Thelma and Louise, Tomb Raider, uh, Magnificent Seven, uh, and of course the James Bond film. James Bond film, and, and then for TV they get Handmaid's Tale, Vikings, Fargo. This this is a huge deal, and I know a lot of folks were going, "What does it mean for the Bond franchise?" Listen, all it means is that they're going to get access to put put the films. Uh, streaming on Amazon Prime, which will be the first time that they have ever been anywhere. All of them have been anywhere streaming at one time. I know they've been on uh, Netflix off and on a couple times, but it's never been the full library. It's never been the full. Now it's 24. It's only ever been like 11, 12, sometimes less. Like I know, I know at one point there was a couple of them on Hulu, but then the Brosnan films were on Netflix. Mm. It's weird. Uh, but for those wondering about the Bond franchise, uh, there was an exclusive article from the folks over at Variety where the headline reads, James Bond franchise will get worldwide theatrical release, say Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson. Uh, so the uh, meet the nitty gritty of this uh, in the article reads, quote, under a de- deal first hammered out by Albert Cubby, uh, nicknamed Broccoli, MGM has the right to finance and distribute uh, all of the Bond movies and the studio splits pro- the profits with Eon Productions. Uh, EM Productions is owned by the Broccoli family, and they've been basically the ones behind the films way back when, since Dr. No first came out in 1962. Mm. If you ever watch any of the films, 
Broccoli's name's on the front of every damn one of them. All right. Uh, so they uh, they split the profits with Eon. However, Broccoli's heirs and Eon's chief, Barbara Broccoli, and her half-brother, Michael G. Wilson, still have final say on everything from the film's marketing and distribution plans to Craig's Daniel Craig's successor. Together, they have unprecedented creative control over the franchise. Quote, for better or worse, we are the custodian of this of this character. We take that responsi- uh, responsibility very seriously. So at the end of the day, Amazon ain't going to do nothing. So I know a lot of people are going, oh my God, does this mean No Time to Die is going to go to Amazon Prime streaming before it hits the theaters? Uh-uh. They cannot do that because of the deal that is already in place with Eon Productions and the Broccoli family. They get final say. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, this is a big move for Amazon, though. Yeah, I mean, Jeez. yeah, huge. They get access to a whole bunch of franchises. I mean, not not to, to name a few. Uh, 21 Drum Street, so mm-hmm. that whole franchise, the Adams Family, All Dogs Go to Heaven, the Barbershop franchise, yeah. which is a huge moneymaker, uh, Bill and Ted, the Carrie franchise, they get, uh, they get that. Uh, you get Clash of the Titans, which has had a couple of films over the years. Uh, you also get... Uh, they. Uh, but, 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 like I mentioned, the Legally Blonde film, Pink Panther, Poltergeist, RoboCop, Rocky, Stargate. You know, the, they get the Teen Wolf, uh, the 2011 TV series, just to name a few. Like, I would go through and read the list of every major movie they would get access to. But let's face it, that's a lot. They've been making movies yeah. since 1924. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot to do. But especially for a streaming service that definitely needs to compete with the HBO Maxes, the Netflix, the yeah. Disney Pluses. This is a huge feather in their cap. Oh, so, yeah. And, and like we said last week when we were discussing the deal, like original programming is great and it's awesome. But at the end of the day, what keeps people coming to your service is the catalog of back titles. You know, for Netflix, it's the movies that I never got the chance to see or even do- they got some pretty good documentaries on there, mm. on there too. You know, and the same with, with Hulu. You know, it's it's the movies, it's the TV shows that they, get, they got, but it's also the, you know, the back catalog of stuff that, I hey, I didn't get around to watching this just because I didn't have time or I didn't start it when it got uh, going and I just never got around to it. You know, same for HBO Max, same for Disney. You know, Apple TV is a little lacking, but we've discussed that. Yeah, but, we've, we've discussed that. But, you know, what keeps you are people around and from canceling and then resubscribing just when this stuff comes out is what you have in your back catalog. And this adds a huge shot in the arm to Amazon Prime, which, let's face it, didn't really need it, but shit, this helps. It helps. And give me Homelander versus James Bond. The, 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 listen, the Broccoli family has in EM Productions have creative control on everything. They will not let it happen. Amazon can try and do it, but they'll say, nah, we're good. I'm just putting that karma out in the world. Or the Billy Butcher versus... Eon Productions will never James let it happen. I know, but I'm going to put it out. Let it happen. And, and I know some people are saying, wait, Pad, if they, they got creative control over everything, how did those offshoot movies, Never Say Never Again and Casino Royale movie happen? Listen, there was a rights dispute that is way too long and way too complicated for me to get into on the show. Suffice it to say, that's why in the Bond franchise, if you go through and watch the films, that's why Blofeld just kind of drops off the face of the earth with those franchises. And mm-hmm. at one point, look up the clip online. I forget which movie it's in. They drop him into a smokestack at the beginning of one of the Roger Moore films and kill him off. And he goes, Mr. Bond! But they never show his face because legally they couldn't because the rights were in dispute hmm. and the rights were in such dispute that it, I would argue it killed uh, the author of the novels, Ian Fleming, because he was heavily involved with who had the rights to what. Hmm. So that's why, you know, that's why those films were able to happen was because there was a dispute, you know, weren't sure what, who had what, you know, Ian wasn't sure they had the rights to uh, Blofeld. So that's why Spectre fell off the map until uh, the movie, the, the last movie that came out. That's why Blofeld fell off until the last movie that just came out. So that's why those movies were able to happen. Fair enough. 
But definitely a big move for Amazon. Yeah. Big move. Yeah. Uh, and then my comic picks for the week. Uh, Action Comics, issue number 1031. Alien, issue number three. Uh, Detective Comics, issue number 1036. Star Wars Adventures, Weapon of a Jedi, issue number one. I don't know what this is, but uh, hey, it's Star Wars. It's titled Weapon of the Jedi. Uh, the description reads, the critically praised uh, novel by New York Times bestselling author Jason Fry is adapted to comics in this all-new adventure. The Rebel Alliance has destroyed the Empire's dreaded Death Star, but the Imperial Starfleet continues hunting the Rebels throughout the galaxy. Luke Skywalker now seeks to support the Rebellion as an X-Wing fighter, but as he flies with the pilots of the Red Squadron, Luke uh, feels stirrings of the Force, and this farm boy turned pilot begins to suspect that his destiny lies along a different path. So it's right in between A New Hope and Empire, which, by the way, happy birthday to A New Hope, uh, turned the ripe young age of like 43 or 44 yesterday. Wow. Yeah, uh, so definitely give that a check out. Uh, also, uh, Star Wars Darth Vader issue number 12. Uh, good Lord, doing great stuff with that. Cannot wait to get home and read that. And then lastly, certainly not least, the one I am most anticipated for because I love the hell out of this series when I was a kid and it came out. I cannot wait for the Netflix War for Cybertron series to come out because they are going to be featured in this. Transformers Beast Wars issue number four, a retelling of the first season of the series thus far with some awesome twists in it. I cannot wait to see where they go with this. Definitely solid list right there. And I have to throw one more pick on there from our people over at Valiant Comics. Shout out to them. Shadow Man number two is ah. hitting the racks today. Cullen Bunn and John Davis Hunt's return of Jack Boniface to the comic shelves has been nothing short of epic. I love this series. I've been fortunate enough that I've been able to do some early reviews for it. So if you head on over to odphpodcast.com, swing on over to Parlay Points and at the entertainment section, I have a review up right now of Shadow Man number two. Early spoiler. It's really good. Hey, we got breaking news too. Oh, uh, during the show. During All the right, show, let's go. Yeah, enough people were flooding my Twitter account with it that I was like, well, what the hell's going on? Uh, quote, Craven the Hunter hits theaters on January 13th, 2023. Directed by J.C. Shandon, produced by Avi Arid and Matt Tolmuck, written by Art uh, Markham, Matt Holloway, and Richard Wenk, W-E-N-K. Uh, this movie is going to be set in the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters. Starring, any guesses? Not Keanu Reeves. Nope. Um, you know him. He has been in a Marvel film before, just not from Sony. He has been in a Marvel film. Mm -hmm. uh, so MCU, we're not talking X-Men, Sony, or X-Men, Fox. No. Um, Paul Rudd. Nope. Not good. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Really? Uh-huh. Really? The MCU's version of Quicksilver is playing uh, Craven. Wow. Did not see that coming. Yeah. Okay, initial reactions. Because this literally is like just coming across the wire. Great casting. Yeah, I'd say so. Because I just I did not see him playing Craven, but now that you put those two in the same sentence, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Um, curious on what they're going to exactly do. I know Sony has had this weird love affair with doing individual movies of the Sinister Six. They've listen. They've had a Sinister Six hard on for like 13 years yeah it's weird it is like it's kind of awkward I, I don't get it i i really don't like there's spider-man villains yeah and craven you can do a lot with yeah but you're gonna need spider-man to be involved or you're gonna need a spider character that marvel doesn't exactly have its hands on i mean what's he gonna do hunt venom i mean that that would that, that would be something that'd be interesting 
it would be interesting. I, I believe they've done it in the comics once, but then I don't think they've really touched upon it too much. Well, Craven's got a, a weird history after Craven's Last Hunt, which is arguably the greatest Craven story ever written. You can debate me about sure. that online all the time. But I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't read it, even though it's been since the 80s it came out. It still is the end-all, be-all Craven story. So the fact of anything after is always weird. It's always messy. Craven is a very, very fascinating character, yeah. and now they're they're doing it. Okay. Oh, I'm, and Deadline, and Deadline putting, just put out an Oracle about it, too. Yeah, no, it's official. Wow. The same hearsay, the same rumors, the same, you know, so, you know speculation. Uh, no, Deadline, Deadline.com has an article. Yeah, no, it's official. That is so, so weird. Wow. Like, yeah. I'm I try, yeah. trying to wrap my head around about this. I, I get it, and I don't, and I don't know exactly why but i will tell you what i will definitely go check this out because yeah. it's jury still out for me i gotta see trailers and i gotta see some reactions to it because i'll be honest i still no urge to see venom no urge to see morbius craven i'm kind of on the same boat right now well i think the one aspect you got with craven is it's going to be spider-man related but i want to see how they're exactly going to do this because right it doesn't make a ton of sense if you're not going to have Spider-Man or Venom in there. Right. Because it just doesn't add up. Yeah, no, it in, doesn't. In my opinion. So let's get weird, folks. Yeah, All right. to say the least. We'll definitely have more to talk about it next week on the ODPH. But, man, talk about it. Instant reaction piece. Wow. And definitely, like I said, I don't want to shortchange Shadow Man. Shadow Man 2 is out right now, so definitely go pick it up and go check out the Parlay Points review of it. Let me know what you think of it. I am really stoked about this book. I think it's very, very solid top to bottom. So for my one shot, it's going to be kind of a lengthy one, but I want to kind of deep dive into it because this past week we had a fall schedule press conference from CW and their CEO, Mark Pedowitz, was talking about everything going on with the CW and there was a lot to digest. Sure. So they did announce the fall schedule lineup and they're going to be going seven days fully. So this is something uncharted water for, right, yeah. for CW. Right, yeah. say Saturday, CW's usually been whatever the hell they feel like showing. Right. So according to the article by Deadline... Uh, the fall lineup is looking like follows. Sunday nights, 8 p.m., a show Pat has had circled on his calendar, Legends of the Hidden Temple. Oh, fuck yeah. So kicking off. And then there is a reality show, Killer Camp, right after it at 9 o'clock. Monday is All-American at 8 p.m. 9 p.m. is the 4400. So that's a brand new show that's coming out right. by them. Yep. Uh, Tuesdays, no shocker here, The Flash is staying there. Yep. But Riverdale is moving after him. So Flash mm. is at 8, Riverdale at 9 p.m. Weren't they after him at one point a couple of years ago? I feel like they were. Could yeah, they, they were when they were on Wednesdays. Oh, that's or right. Or was it Arrow? Or that was Arrow. No, that, that was, was Arrow. Arrow Wednesdays. Yeah, so, I mean, they've always kind of piggybacked with that. I'm To be honest with you, I'm very surprised if Riverdale is still going. Yeah. I thought they were wrapping it up. Like, I'm not meaning anything to bash the show. Uh, Wednesdays, though, 8 p.m., Legends of Tomorrow. Okay. So, it's going to be a short break from what we're at right now, and then they're sure. coming back to 8. Sure. 9 p.m. Wednesdays, Batwoman. Okay. So Sunday night is going to be cleared of all the DC heroes. It's going to be back to a double stack on Wednesday. Thank God. It's tough to watch stuff on Sunday since there's like 9,000 shows on Sundays. Right. Thursday is going to be Walker, so the new uh, Jared Pedlecki show. Mm, uh, okay. And then Legacies is 9 p.m. Fridays, Penn and Teller, Foolis. So that's going to be their show. And then Nancy Drew is at 9 p.m. And then Saturday is back-to-back Whose Line Is It Anyway and World's Funniest Animals. I can't believe that show's still gone. Yeah, I'm, line. That's awesome. I'm I'm shocked it is too, but I do like this show when I catch it. Yeah. So this is going to 
be a lot of moving parts going on with it. Obviously, the DC uh, universe is shifting a little bit. Now, I know the first question everybody's asking, okay, what about Superman and Lois? What about Stargirl? So from the article that I can tell, Supergirl is going to be on Tuesdays when it's uh, when all the new shifting is happening to lead into The Flash. Oh, so, okay. they're, so they're going to do like a July to October series run. So you're going to see Supergirl on Tuesdays and then right after Stargirl. So that'll be the eight to eight and nine hours, and then when it switches over in the fall, then you get the Flash and Riverdale, if I am reading this all correctly. And you're gonna have Superman and Lois get sprinkled in there as well. Sure. I, I think you're gonna kind of see a little more uh, moving parts, so to speak, happening there. And obviously, there was a couple new shows announced. The 4400 was one, but the one that definitely hit my radar, and I am super excited to see this. Ava DuVernay producing and is involved with this. Casey Walfall okay. is the title character, Naomi. Hmm. Now, if you're not familiar with the character, and I know we got hit up online about this. So, yeah, hi, that's me. Naomi was one of the characters under the Wonder brand that when Brian Michael Bendis came over to DC, uh, started writing. Okay. So she is getting her own show. Uh, it's about a teenager that's finding out about her hidden dis- her hidden destiny. So I don't want to spoil anything. The book is very solid. I, I do recommend checking it out if you got the time to. And it's going to be exciting to see her come on the screen in the upcoming season. I don't have dates just yet about when that is going to be. But in the meantime, go check out the Naomi comic. I know they did like season one, season two. So you definitely want to go give that a read and find out what's going on with that. And like I said, that was part of the Bendis universe that came out with when they redid Young Justice. Gotcha. And that whole comic line. So definitely some cool stuff happening there. And they did give a little more information about when The Flash comes back. Okay. So when they're saying The Flash is coming back, and like I said, this is from the article that is at uh, Deadline, they were talking about the first five episodes will have a guest star from the CW-verse on it. So according to, I'm just going to read the article, this fall the CW is bringing together for the first time on the same night a signature most streamed series, The Flash and Riverdale. Both will start their new seasons. Season 8 for The Flash and Season 6 for Riverdale with special five-episode events which will kick off in November, uh, about a month after the CW starts rolling out its fall lineup in October. Hmm. So during this they mentioned that it's not going to be a full crossover, but they're said for the first uh, five episodes next season will feature different heroes from the CW verse. Okay. So I, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I mean, mean it, it makes sense. It's all one universe. It's all one world. It only makes sense to have them sprinkle in and out. Yes. And what they were saying is uh, also to confirm warming up for the flash and Riverdale for the final season of Supergirl and season two of Stargirl, which will premiere in August and run through Tuesdays to October. So okay. it's going to be shifting over. So that is something to definitely be excited about. A lot of stuff happening there. Don't have a, a rival dates for Superman and Lois and Naomi just yet, but we will definitely be talking about that as well. So definitely a lot of exciting stuff happening at the CW. And to close out, I do have some Netflix news mm-hmm. because as we were recording, um, there was an announcement about some new cast members joining the Sandman show. Okay. So we do know this is Neil Gaiman's epic comic that has really set the tone for mature readers' lines. It's a fantastic read. I cannot recommend it enough. We do know that Tom Sturridge is going to be playing Dream slash Morpheus, the title character. Gwendolyn Christie, we know her. Yep. Is going to be playing Lucifer Morningstar. Familiar with her. Yes. So they did announce a bunch of new actors playing title roles. Kirby Howell Baptiste is playing Death. Okay. Mason Alexander Park is playing Desire. Okay. 
And Jenna Coleman oh. from Doctor Who fame yeah, is playing yeah. Joanna Constantine. Oh, okay. And the one and only Patton Oswald is voicing Matthew the Raven. Hmm. So this is going to be a very, very interesting lineup. I do like the castings for this. I know there's a few more going on, too. Uh, definitely a lot of stuff to be excited about. Donna, Donna Preston is playing uh, Despair. I forgot to mention right. her as well. Because if you know anything about the dreaming and the family there, it kind of all ties together. No title or no release date about when the season is coming out, so definitely something to stay tuned for. It's going to be 11 seasons for or 11 episodes for the first season, so you definitely want to check that out when it drops. And definitely a lot of fun stuff happening going on with that. Yeah. So that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is our good friends. Shout at the robots. They're fantastic people. Really like those guys. They are announcing tour dates. Not tour dates per se, but they're going to start going on playing as everything is opening back up. Super excited to see them live. Pad, where do I find out about them? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. You check out everything going on with Shout. Sign up for their Patreon because they're fantastic. You go over, check out everything going on with Tom Jolu, who is just on the ODPH this week. Definitely did a fire episode with Matt Ebers. Uh, and then you go over, check out what's going on with Second Studer. They just got new merch. They got new logos. They got a lot of new stuff. New, 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 new. You also check out everything going on Brian Wolf. He's playing uh, Patreon shows on Wednesdays. Will he play Nickelback? If you pay him enough, I'm sure he will. You can also check out everything going on with Floodlands. All of the great bands you hear on the ODPH. Shout out to Yard Party 2. We have something special lined up for them this summer, but can't reveal details just yet. But while you're at the website, you definitely want to swing over to the directory. You can check out Friends of the Show. You can check out Organizational Links Support Black Lives Matter. You can check out all the amazing pod groups we are in. And definitely shout out to the Apocalypse right now. We are having a lot of podcasts reach out trying to join what is turning into one of the most, if not the most popular pod group in all of Podchaser. So definitely want to shout them out. I can't forget the Innered Circle, though, because that is a whole other animal in its own right. And the chat is always lively. I wish I could talk about that. It's almost teetering on the diesel level. I can't do that, though. But definitely well, Nothing's my, on the diesel level. No, it's definitely not. But uh, they definitely like to drop those memes. Definitely shout out to uh, Comic Book Keepers and JVD of Crossover Collision because they always keep the chat very, very lively over there. And, of course, shout out our guy Brian Wayne from Cheers the Comics, too, because uh, we don't do the Apollos without him. And that's facts. But if you can find out about them and 607 Podcasts and everything going on with 8122 Productions, Rich Ron, Mike C, returning to the studio for the first time in over a year, and the aforementioned... Big Daddy Cool. Oh, boy. Big Natty Cool Diesel. Still on Twitter. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Everything going on with them, you can find out too, a122productions.com. All of that, the T Public Store, which has some of the hottest merchant independent podcasting going on right now, and so much more, including that Parlay Points blog at odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Pat one j Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.